Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice. We're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook Heavenly Healthy Desserts sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to so nice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice, delicious nutrition. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by none other than my co-host from The Wellness Guys, everybody's favorite naturopath and chiropractor, someone who hopefully none of you need an introduction to, the one and only Damien Christoph. Welcome to the show, mate. Thank you, Bretto. How exciting. It's such an honor to be on that paleo show. It's been years. I've been waiting years for an invitation, and here I am. So exciting. We got there. We couldn't hold back from the rock star. We had to get him on eventually. So, Damo, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that, that almost all, if not all, of the people listening to this podcast show already know of you. They've already tuned into the Wellness Guys and had a bit of a listen. They've, they've seen you, you know, listened to you on 100 Not Out, which I didn't even mention there. You know, the yeah. other podcast show that you do, which is amazing with the awesome Marcus Pierce. Yeah. Um, but there may be one or two people in Australia who haven't heard of you already. <laughs> and so do you want to just give them a bit of an introduction to yourself, Damon? Just a short one for those who haven't heard. Yeah, what, 15 minutes? Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a really short one is uh, I obviously I'm a naturopath, Bredo, um, and obviously for those people out there, I'm a chiropractor too, and my food philosophy is all around eating real food, um, and so it's very, very important for me having you know spoken on and worked in the industry for 20-odd years now um, that uh, we communicate a message of congruency with food, and so... I did the TV show Downsize Me using, I suppose, if you reflect back on it, um, it would have been paleo um, until I probably introduced some quinoa and maybe a little bit of cheese for those people that, you know, I couldn't get to eat any other foods but or were looking for a bit of a variety. But um, back before paleo was trendy and even before the word was even used, um, you know, in books and, and downloadable podcasts, we were doing this show called Downsize Me, which just taught people how to eat well, which is just eating real food. And then off the off the off the back of that, people lost weight and got cholesterol better and this is back when the cholesterol myth was still true and, um, and, and, and people just had amazing health outcomes. So we p- kind of pioneered that and that was in New Zealand. We stopped filming that 10 years ago. So it was about 14 years ago that we actually started filming that show and, uh, and it still gets played today. So that was very pioneering back then, you know, using real food to help people lose weight, which is, you know, quite a novel, a novel thing. But um, you know, off the back of that, you and I have become great mates, and Lawrence and I, and, and and obviously Lawrence and Marcus, we're all great mates, and um, spreading the message of health and wellness through the Wellness Couch and and all of that. So, you know, I thoroughly love what I do in practice with forage. Of course, I've got the forage range of breakfast muesli's, and of course, there is our number one selling one is the Paleo uh, blend, which. Thanks, thanks to you, Bredo, um, you sending me through a recipe that I should make a paleo blend that consisted of these bits and pieces. Um, I actioned that. Within three weeks, we had it on the shelves, and here we are today. 
Damo, I actually didn't know that was the number one selling cereal. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty it is cool. A, it's our number one selling cereal. Within probably um, the first six months, it got up to easily, you know, quite quite quickly number two. Um, and now that we've dropped the 500-gram range or the 500-gram cereal from the range, um, paleo all by itself is by by uh, no shorter than three or four miles is uh, the clear leader there. It's uh, it's incredible. That's cool, Damon. And, you know, I'm still gutted that you didn't use a cartoon picture of me on the front page. You did say you were going to do that at one stage. Well, we didn't, we did. didn't get there. No, I did. That is you. <laughs> <laughs> that is you on the front page. In your, in your Adelaide caveman sort of get up. So back in those days. But uh, what I've also got is that I've got the cartoon of little Tommy um, on the swing that, uh, that's going to be coming out with the kids version. So you'll see that coming soon. Oh, that's a bit exciting. He's going to love that. He's going to think that's fantastic. And, hey, that looks like me, Dad. Yeah. And you know what I love about the Forage Paleo is most of the time, I don't actually eat it for breakfast, but I often have it as a bit of a snack as well, right? Because it's a great thing to snack on throughout the day. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, well, that's that's the feedback we get. But people are cooking up for desserts. You know, they put it on their on top of their coconut yogurt at night time with a couple of berries. And, um, and, and so not only are people having it as desserts, but they might be baking it into um, – like a, like a little biscuit. Um, but there's other places that are using it as salad toppers. So I, I went down to a local cafe the other day, um, Holy Bowley in Hampton, and uh, and they had it as a salad topper. I was like, oh, nice, a little sweet, a little bit of sweet, a little bit of, you know, savoury with the nuts. It was great. Nice. Well, I actually went to a friend's house just recently, actually, and he used uh, forage paleo for dessert. He, uh, he put, I think it was some honey on there, and he roasted it up in the oven. Maybe a little bit of koyo yogurt, I think, might have been on there, was it, Damo? Yes, yes, I did do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic. That was great. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to definitely replicate that one at home, because I think that would be really popular with the kids, too. So, all right, Damo, we've given forage enough of a plug now. Let's, let's go on. So, Damo, you know, you and I talk about uh, food and lifestyle and mindset and all sorts of things every single week on the on the Wellness Guys. We've been doing that for years now, four or five years, I think we're up to, aren't we now, on the Wellness Guys? It was definitely four. We were yeah. obviously in, we're in our fifth year. So. We're in our fifth year. How's that? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so you and I banter backwards and forwards a little bit, Damon. Sometimes we banter backwards and forwards about paleo. And so yeah. sometimes people who are big fans of the paleo diet, they're big fans of that paleo show, and they say to me, what's going on between you and Damo? Why doesn't Damon like paleo? So, Damo, <laughs> I know that you do like paleo, and the, 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 the banter doesn't always reflect how you really feel about it. So what do you think of paleo, Damo? Look, I think um, for all intents and purposes, uh, the, uh, the constructs, and the main rules around paleo are absolutely 100% sound, and I love it. And uh, and obviously, I did a TV show on it, um, and we had 36 episodes go live to air um, in New Zealand and around the world that that you know spoke of the paleo um, principles, just not using the term paleo. I think um, my understanding more around nutrition has come from uh, the understanding that we have evolved. And I think the number one thing that I, I suppose, struggle with with the, with the paleo construct, and even when I was presenting on stage with Lauren Cordain, the founder of uh, the paleo movement, many, many years ago at a, at a Metagenics event that I, that I did, um, I said to him, but from a microbiome perspective, yes, that's true. And I said, so as a result of the microbiome evolving, um, we now have a different uh, relationship to food. And yes, we, we've moved really, really rapidly forward since the Industrial Revolution. We've introduced foods in quantities that have never been seen before. And as a result, we're now getting allergies and sensitivities um, to certain types of foods, for example, gluten and dairy and um, 
and and many other different grains. You know, we do see buckwheat. People, you know, as a legume, people have um, an allergic response to buckwheat. We, but we also see allergic responses to eggs, and we see allergic responses to um, to other foods like shellfish and fish. That that you go well, kind of, well, that's paleo. Why why are we having responses to that? So. I've always understood that the microbiome continues to evolve. And um, Kale Brock talks of this and spoke of this recently, and so did Cindy O'Meara at the Wellness Summit. Um, we, we all kind of alluded to the fact that every single day um, our microbiome changes. And as a result, um, we become either more or less tolerant to parts of foods and proteins, carbohydrates and fats. So it's that's more my understanding around food. So if, if I'm to be true and honest with it, I love – all of the principles of paleo. I just don't think that um, I don't think that it's true that we haven't evolved, um, you know, to the extent you've got to handle some of these foods. So, um, and and the flip side to that would be, and we can see this um, with many Irish people and people from um, England and Scotland, sort of that bloodline. They come in, they jump, they're doing the paleo thing, but. They think that paleo means that you have coconut with every meal, and they're starting to get, you know, itchy eyelids and rashes, you know, in areas where you don't want to have rashes, and and that's a direct relation to the inability of their body to have evolved to handle coconut. So it's not just so much so that we can say because it's paleo, it's good for you. We just need to, I suppose, consider other stages of evolution. So it's it's not. I'm not saying that I don't like it. Although I'm saying, and in fact, I love it. I'm just saying. There's there's parts of it that um, may not be suited to other people. Yeah, nice, and and that fits in really well with a chat I had a couple of weeks ago with Cindy O'Meara on that Paleo show as well, Damo. And I'm not sure if you've had a chance to listen to that one yet because it's only just yeah. gone out. But that I was a really cool discussion, and we spoke about that in terms of the microbiome. We also spoke about the the epigenetic factors as well, and how that may influence, and and almost certainly is influencing, you know, what people are able to deal with in their diet. So we had a really cool chat around that. So that that fits in, and it, and it makes a lot of sense, I reckon. So. Damo, you often talk about the blood type diet as well. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about the blood type diet and how that fits into your philosophy as well? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brad. Um, Peter Diadamo um, picked up on his dad's research. Um, who, you know, I think his name was Dr. Diadamo. I can't remember his first name, but Dr. Diadamo, <laughs> his his son Peter, um, picked up his research and ran with it. And essentially, what they had identified was that various groups of people had different responses to different types of foods and. They then hypothesized that maybe it's to do with blood type. They then found out that if they um, measured various inflammatory markers um, in people's um, bloodstream based on their blood type, they had different responses to food groups. And then they went on to then further research, you know, what would happen if they took foods out and included different foods into blood type style um, eating programs. And the science kind of stopped there. No more work was really done on it. However, what they templated was um, food lists, for A-type blood, AB blood, B blood, and O blood. And interestingly, when you look at um, Paleolithic times, most of the Paleoliths um, that we talk about in the current modern-day format of the Paleo diet um, would have been O-type blood. It's the most ancient form of blood. And those people who thrive on the Paleo-style eating program thrive most probably because they've got O-type blood or ancient-type blood. Now, the B-type blood person can also really hugely benefit from the paleo eating program, and I've seen that, but they need to eat faster-moving things. They eat more fish and more rabbits and more... um, more lamb rather than cow and ox and pig. You know, they need to, they need to eat things that move fast, not move slow. 
And so there's these tiny little differentiators that tend to, you know, help get a little bit clearer, a little bit more specific around what would be more appropriate in your paleo lifestyle. If you kind of dug a bit deeper to find out more about what would be the real food, the paleo sort of approach to your blood type eating program. And that would help you determine what would be, I suppose, a healthier version or a more appropriate version of paleo for you. Um, that's that's how I read the um, the blood type now. So the people that benefit mainly from vegan are those that have got A-type blood or a, or a combination of A-type blood. So it would be A and B. Um, or A by itself. There is a small subset of A of O type blood people that do okay with vegan or vegetarian, but for the most part, you know, the fifty percent of the population that absolutely thrive and kick butt doing the paleo program or a paleo type program or a primal eating program um, are O type blood people. Yeah, and I guess that fits into an understanding that you know there were different paleo diets. You know, often people talk about the paleo diet as if there's yeah, only one, point. as if yeah, everyone at, was doing we, the exact we, same Cindy thing. Cindy did that the other day, didn't she? She spoke on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the summit, she spoke about the hunters and the and, uh, and and what they do, and then she spoke about the Incans and and what they do around food, and that is also considered to be paleo. Yeah, and you look at the Inuits who had that really high fat diet. You look at some of the Papua New Guinean populations who actually were eighty percent tuberous vegetables. You know, they were they were basically eighty percent of their diet was sweet potatoes, basically. And so there's a big variation there. So I think you know perhaps people can start looking at some of these clues and say, well, yes, I'm doing a paleo diet, uh, but it doesn't have to be the paleo diet as prescribed in a particular book. You know, there's lots of variation I can have within that while still sticking to the basic principles of of eating real food. Mm, absolutely. Now, I think I cut out there for a little bit, Brad, did I? I don't know. I don't know. It sounded okay from my end. I okay, think. Great. <laughs> so I think, I think you might have been all right. I think I was, in, I was agreeing with you um, and you weren't listening because you'd been cut out. But uh, essentially, I was just saying that um, Cindy spoke about this at the summit. She said, you know, we'll talk about the Hunters and we'll talk about the Incans and, and how they had, you know, used the foods that were real food. Um, but based on what they had access to. And, you know, there's some, some – um, just look at the Okinawans, for example, in the Okinawa way. Um, they eat lots of fish, but they have lots of rice, and, um, and, but they also have lots of kelp. And so there's different approaches there, and, and they thrive. They live to over 100 very, very easily. Then you look at the Icarians, and, uh, and Icarians, are, um, they thrive on almost no seafood at all. They don't eat any seafood, but they're an island in Greece. Um, <laughs> they eat goat, um, primarily vegetarian – um, they have a little bit of dairy. Um, they drink heaps of wine. Um, and they, they have the highest number of centenarians on the planet. So, you know, they are, they're, na- they're nailing it. They're going really well. Um, and then you can look at the Sardinians, and the Sardinians eat bread every single day. Um, and that's another culture that lives into, and they're part of what's considered to be the blue zones. They live into their hundreds very, very easily with very little disease. And I just read um, this morning um, a little excerpt from Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief. He's just done a revised edition. Um, and in his revised edition, he talks about um, the, the idea of um, epigenetics but being the emotional epigenetic control. And so it's that relationship that you spoke of and that Cindy spoke of, the relationship um, that you have with your food. So if you firmly believe that a food's going to be beneficial for you, it's more likely to be beneficial than if you firmly believe that a food's going to be really bad for you. And so there's that emotional... Um, epigenetic control that could also influence um, your well-being and and your affair with food. You know, if you've got a, a love affair with food, you're going to enjoy your food more than if you hate cooking and you hate sitting down to eat and that sort of thing. So it, that, there's that emotional component. 
Yeah, and I think that's really important, isn't it? That we look at all those different aspects of how they contribute, you know, the physical, the chemical, the emotional. And, and we often talk about that on this show in terms of that whole lifestyle and how all those parts interplay. So, you know, how much of a role in those populations you're talking about, they're living into their hundreds, how much of the role do you think it is the diet? How much do you think it's the mindset? How much do you think it's the exercise components? Oh, that's awesome, Brad. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to much of the 100 Not Out, but. I have. What- and that's why I asked. <laughs> well, 100 on that is is one of my you know my, one of my periods in the week that I really look forward to because I'm discovering so much by doing that podcast and um, and I as you know, Brett, I, you and I are both foodies and I really enjoyed talking about food and I actually thought that food was the most important thing um, with relationship to relationships to um, aging well and to longevity. But as it turns out, the bulk of the people who have lived really really well um, and continue to age beautifully. Um, don't really pay much credence to food. In fact, uh, when we look at those people who actually do do lots with food, they don't tend to live as long. You look at Pritikin, for example. Marcus Pierce spoke about this at the summit. Pritikin died at 50-something years old from suicide um, because he developed cancer eating the Pritikin diet. You know, so you kind of go, oh, that's interesting. Um, maybe the Pritikin diet you know, wasn't the best way to go. Then there's a vegan who at 60-something, she got cancer and she... Um, you know, was so upset that she went into depression and, and all kinds of things. And then you look at Dr. Atkins, he died at 50-something and he was eating the Atkins program and, you know, people say that he had a weak heart or, you know, maybe he might have had a stronger heart had he had a different focus. And so I've learned that food isn't your key to longevity, but food is your relationship. That's your, you know, food is um, is is very much, I suppose, the magic. It's the beautifulness of um of your enjoyment of life. And so it's probably ranked about number four or five in terms of importance of longevity, um, but possibly number one in terms of the quality of your life, potentially. Yeah, nice. I like that, Damo. So now that we've said that food's not important, let's talk some more about food. Right? So, um, you know, when we talk... When we talk about the paleo diet, you know, people will look at your flagship cereal, you know, your original forage cereal, and they look at that and there's things in there like quinoa or quinoa, as I thought it was for years, uh, buckwheat, amaranth, you know, all these other things that are in there that, that traditionally wouldn't be part of a paleo diet. So I guess two-part question here, Damo, is first of all, um, you know, uh, what are we missing out on if we're not including those in our diet? And then the second part of that is what can we gain by including those into our diet? Sure. Well, what the reality is um, with all food, um, but, but you know, if you if you break it down to the macronutrients from a protein, carbohydrate, and fat perspective, there's there's really no need to include anything in particular if you break it down to just those macronutrients. Um, so if you look at micronutrient value, um, there's potential to get other micronutrients, you know, such as some of the minerals that are easier to get from the ground than from an animal. Um, and so you might find other sources of protein and easier to digest sources of protein and some minerals um, in some of the grains that you might get access to. Um, for many people, uh, eating um, animal-based protein um, affects their gastrointestinal system significantly, so it makes it quite stodgy. Um, it can actually make the stool quite sticky, um, and it can also um, place you know unwanted load on their kidney function, and and they find that their urine colour is very very dark at the end of the day, and that's a, a key indicator of um, not only dehydration but also pro- extra protein and extra waste coming out through the kidneys that you haven't been able to utilise. That can be corrected by using vegetarian sources 
uh, or plant-based sources of protein, right? So you're still getting your protein. It's just in some cases it can be a little bit easier to digest and absorb. Now, whether or not um, we gain anything in particular by putting grain into our diet, I suppose this is, is somewhat theoretical. We probably don't gain much. Um, we probably don't lose much by taking it out. It's just the opportunity to, I suppose, provide um, different types of protein and different types of carbohydrate. And, um, you know, I know the omega-6 fatty acids have copped a bad rap um, along the way, but really it's only when you cook the omega-6 fatty acid that it does become a problem. So, you know, when you're cooking foods or grains over, and even nuts and seeds, when you cook it over a 30 degrees, then you start to get problems with omega-6 fatty acids. But omega-6 fatty acids are actually um, anti-inflammatory um, when they're raw. So, for example, flaxseed oil, which is rich in omega-6 fatty acid, which wouldn't be part of a paleo program um, because it's a, a seed, um, is rich in omega-6 fatty acids, but it's anti-inflammatory by nature because it's raw. So, you know, there's lots of different things there. But to answer your question, Bredo, <laughs> we were – sorry, mate. We don't gain um, – truckloads by having to include or including grain into our diet other than variety and another type of protein or carbohydrate and we don't miss out on much if anything maybe just some fermentable starches that might be beneficial for our gastrointestinal tract um, if we take them out so there are some benefits um, and there's no drawbacks to either of the equations there will be some people with gastrointestinal sensitivity to grain um, whether that's to do with phytate um or, or maybe fructan or whatever else it is, not everyone is sensitive to grain in the same way. And do you think some of that issue that people are having with, with, for example, protein is that they're not quite getting their macronutrients right? Like, Do you think some people going on the paleo diet, and, and you hear this from people who sort of have just heard about it and haven't really researched it much, and they may think that the paleo diet is all about meat. You know, and so they go to a high protein, high meat version of the paleo diet and perhaps don't value enough the vegetables in particular um, as a, a huge component of what should be a well-rounded paleo diet, in my opinion. Once again, obviously understanding that that wasn't what everyone did, you know, the Inuits didn't do that. But, you know, for most people, I think having a, you know, having a large portion of their diet as a vegetable base is a good idea on the paleo diet. Do you think it's the fact that people aren't quite getting that right that may be contributing to some of these issues? I think so, mate. I think also, too, we've slipped into some bad habits. You know, there's this, um, this, this feeling that we can just go and fry everything um, because fat's no good. Um, for some people, fat will be fine, um, but not for everybody. We spoke about this, you and I, just the other day interviewing Margie Smith. Um, some people, fat will be amazing for them. In fact, you could almost say that fat will be medicinal, um, but fat isn't medicinal for another subset of the population. In fact, it can be quite detrimental. And you find that out by, you know, measuring your genes and having a look at your genes and exploring more in depth to what you're, you as an individual uh, are most suited to. We can get, you know, really, you can drill right down into that. But I think that what's actually happening is that when you go into certain cafes, they'll put together a paleo meal and it'll have two fried eggs, some bacon, um, and maybe some um, spinach um, on the side, uh, which has just been, you know, saturated in butter um, and then that becomes your breakfast well that's totally um, unbalanced it's probably going to be way too rich in protein it's probably going to have some kind of trans fatty acid or unhealthful saturated fatty acid content not all saturated fat is created equal right so some of it will be really good and some of it won't be and and based on your gene type will determine whether or not it's going to be beneficial for you too so um, you know that sort of thing will be unbalanced and then of course it's easy to just chuck a steak on the barbecue cook up a steak and eat that steak and maybe have a little bit of salad on the side but it really should be a massive mound of salad and then a little steak um, that would be probably more appropriate 
you know, a, a measurement or allocation of protein, fat and carbohydrate. But I think you're right there, Bredo. Remember we said, I think you and I said this on stage last year with Pete Evans um, at the Wellness Summit, we were saying um, it's better to have a big mound of vegetables and some protein attached to that than to have a massive amount of protein and, and a little bit of vegetables attached to that. It should be that, and across all of the healthy eating programs, the number one thing that is consistent is having large amounts of vegetables. Yeah, absolutely. So, Damon, what about dairy? Where do you sit with dairy? You know, obviously, strict paleo diet, that's not included. Uh, the primal diet, then then there is some dairy included, but they tend to go for raw dairy. Um, you know, what are your thoughts around dairy, mate? Yeah, look, I have yogurt, um, everybody, and I also have some cheeses. Um, I'll, I'll use feta cheese from time to time in my salad. I'll use some But I don't have any other, you know, cheese. Um, if I'm having a latte, then I'll have um, dairy milk because I don't want soy. Otherwise, I'll have um, almond milk. I'm not that averse to dairy. Um, so people will notice that when they have dairy, they get a heap of snot at the back of their throat, um, lots of mucus. And that mucus is a really good indicator that something that you're doing isn't right. Other people get really constipated when they have dairy, and that's from casein. Um, and or it could be from lactose. You know, lactose um, causes a diarrhea type um, effect, except for in children, it causes constipation. But um, we, you know, it, it's not. I don't have a blanket rule on it, and I say that dairy is bad for everybody. But if someone came to me and they had eczema, I would say, why don't you give up the dairy? If someone came to me and they had big saggy bags under their eyes that were really dark and black, um, I'd say that you're allergic to something you're eating. Why don't we do an elimination diet and take out the things that you love the most? And generally the thing that people love the most is the thing that they probably shouldn't eat much of. And um, and so I would take out those things. And more often than not, it's dairy and wheat. And so I, I take that out and people will generally feel better by taking those things out. Um, but interestingly, uh, not everybody performs poorly from dairy. In fact, some people perform really well from dairy, and I think that's got a bit to do with blood type as well. And what about raw dairy, Damo? What's your take on that? I love it. You know, I, I wish that we all had access to it really easily, and I wish that there was more transparency around it as well. So I wish that we, we could get access to raw dairy. Uh, raw, raw cow's milk would be fabulous. Um, it's been made illegal here in Victoria, as has a whole lot of stuff. You, you know, having choice around protection of your children has been made illegal over here as well. So, you know, you've got to be really careful um, in Victoria with what you do. But maybe in other states around the world and around the world, you can get access to raw dairy um, and 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 have it. But unfortunately, it's um, it's, it's considered to be dangerous. Um, I think that's I think that's an industry-led thing. I don't think it is actually dangerous. It's probably very very healthful. It's got all the bacteria that your body would otherwise require in your culture other types of commensal bacteria that will live in your colon, which would form your microbiome. So um, I think that raw dairy is great, and fermented dairy, of course, is, is also very, very good. Well, that's, that's probably where I was going to go next, Damo, is to talk a little bit about fermented food because, you know, it wouldn't be an interview with Damien Christoph if we didn't spend at least some time talking about poo because you mentioned it a little bit earlier. But, but let's talk a little bit about gut health, Damo. What, what's going on? Gut health seems to be the hot-button topic at the moment. We just had our wellness summit and you were talking about gut health. Cindy was talking about gut health. Carl Brock was talking about gut health. You know, Steph Lowe was talking about gut health. Nat Kringurtis was talking about gut health. You know, everyone up there seemed to want to talk about gut health. So what's going on with our guts, Damo? Well, there's great understanding. You know, back in the 70s when we, when we launched um, the Human Genome Project, um, there was an understanding that the genes 
we're pretty much in control of our body. Since then, there's been this understanding um, that genes don't control our body. In fact, it's the environment that controls our body. So then the, the shift has become what are the environments that the human body has to work with. So there's the external environment, which for all of us, because we can see it, heal it, hear it, um, touch it, taste it, all those sorts of things, because the external environment is so accessible, we thought that if we altered our external environment, that would alter our health. Well, that hasn't necessarily been the case. You know, altering our external environment has some degree of influence, um, but our internal environment appears to be way more important. So our mental environment is hugely important. So if we consider that we have a massive amount of control over our whole health of our body with our mental um, environment, brain health, mental health, very, very important to get it in control, then that means that the external environment is less important. What we then learn is that by understanding the microbiome, which is the sequencing of an understanding of all of the genes that are associated with our bacteria in our gastrointestinal system, we now learn that humans are now vessels for carrying bacteria because there's more DNA and more cells um, in our gastrointestinal tract than there is actually human cells. So what we carry around is in greater quantity than what we actually are made up of ourselves. So it, be, it seems now that the shift has been to make the microbiome as healthy as we can and protect it as much as we can. So the conversation from mainstream medicine will take probably another five to ten years to catch up to where we're at, but they're now talking about antibiotic resistance. They're now talking about reasons why we should stay away from um, broad-spectrum antibiotics for the most part and don't use antibiotics for ear infections, but they're 10 to 15 years behind. We already saw that as naturopaths and chiropractors and nutritionists. We saw that 10 to 15 years ago. We've been trying to protect the microbiome for years. But the microbiome um, has direct communication with all of the cells within the gastrointestinal system. And the gastrointestinal system is considered to be our second brain. Now, that's very powerful because in embryological terms, the gut and the brain form at exactly the same points until we unfold. And then as we unfold and become babies or humans, fetuses, um, those neurons um, that set up the gastrointestinal system or cells that set up the gastrointestinal system are also the same cells that set up the brain. And so there's a very, very close link between the brain and the gastrointestinal system um, from an embryological point of view. So if our gut's healthy, our brain will be healthy. If our brain's healthy, our gut has more of a better chance to be healthy. Nice. So let's talk about how we get our gut healthy, Damo, because often you talk and you talk about supplementing in terms of your gut, and a lot of people now and a lot of people listening to this show will be doing um, some sort of fermented food in terms of their gut, and, and some of them may be doing just one fermented food, and I know you like to talk about getting variety there. So can people get all of the good bacteria they need from doing fermented foods, or do you think they need a supplement with some sort of a probiotic or a prebiotic? Um, you know, what do you think is the best way to go about doing that? That's such a great question, Brad. And there's so much um, conjecture out there as to what is the, the best approach. And I don't think we're actually going to truly know that answer for probably another five to 10 years, maybe 15 years. But mm. what we do know is that if you've ever had antibiotics, you'll never, ever, ever in your whole life get the microbiome back that you're first born with. Now, if your microbiome when you were born was ideal, in other words, you had a vaginal delivery and you were breastfed, um, that was the best possible start that you could have ever got from your mum. That's the and and whether or not that was the best possible start that any human being has ever had, we we it, it may not have been because if we go back to paleo times, paleolithic times, having babies born back out in the in you know in the woods and dragged through the mud in the caves might have been a better way to initiate the microbiome than what we've got today in a sterile sort of environment in a hospital. But 
regardless, if you're breastfed and you're vaginal delivered as a baby, that would be the best start you got. If you've never had antibiotics and you've never taken the contraceptive pill, then it's highly likely that your gastrointestinal system health will be way, 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 way better than anybody else who's actually taken antibiotics or had the contraceptive pill. And then if you've never had a gastrointestinal infection, in other words, if you've never been to Bali or Thailand or Fiji, and, and, and you've avoided those sorts of parasitic bacterial infections, parasite or bacterial infections, then your gastrointestinal health will be better again. So you can see that there's so many different combinations, permutations of how we might actually arrive at what's um, the healthiest microbiome on the planet. So my feeling is that having fermented foods as part of your diet is really, really important because you get bacteria that grow on food. And that's, that's so important. We also know that there's different bacteria that live inside our guts that um, are what we call a commensal bacteria. And they grow primarily on the sugars that are found in dairy um, or human breast milk. It's just it's difficult to farm human breast milk. So we can't, <laughs> we can't culture those bacteria on human breast milk really easily. Well, there, there is a company now that actually does have a, a breast milk cultured bacteria. Uh, which is really, really good. And I give that to children who, who are bottle-fed um, or who are suffering from um, allergies and that sort of thing. I, I find it really, really beneficial. Um, and to mums who might actually be at risk of mastitis, I use that particular um, formula. It works beautifully. But I think that with all the different probiotics that are you know, in the marketplace, let's say there's 100 of them, um, of that 100, there might be eight of them that are commercially available through your practitioner. They are really, really good ones and they have a specific purpose in the body. But all of the other ones, all of the other hundred, will also have some kind of beneficial role to play in the body. As to the degree of benefit, I don't think we totally know that yet. But all of those bacteria are shown to be commensal bacteria. So having some of that bacteria in your diet, whether it be from a supplement, um, in your yogurt that you might make, or your kefir culture that you're using, or in your own fermented food, sprinkling those other bacteria in there could be of huge benefit to us all. But we won't really know for another couple of years. But it definitely won't be of any detriment to actually have those things. And I'll tell you what, Tim, I talk about the yogurt because there was, at the Wellness Summit, there was some people there from Cultured Wellness, which is a little South Australian company, and they were doing fermented yogurt with coconut yogurt that was absolutely amazing. It was fizzy, it was tangy, I did too, (laughs) and it's great. So, uh, you know, if people want to do that and and from a paleo perspective use some coconut yogurt, that's a really cool way to do it, and they'll sell you the little starter with the recipe and everything, which is a pretty good way to go too. So just as as an aside for people who are out there, well... Damien, uh, we're out of time, mate, and I'm worried that if I ask you another question, we'll be at least 10 minutes over. So <laughs> so for those of you who want to find out more about Damien, you can go to damienchristoff.com. You can find out all about his cereal range. You can find out all about his amazing podcast that he does and his incredible co-host that he does those with. <laughs> you, know, um, you can find out everything you want to know about Damien Christoph. You can also find him on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram. I encourage you to, to check him out and follow him there as well. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the Paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.